0: This is Craig Brown welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore upcoming Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection and prayer. My hope is that new passages of God's grace will be revealed to us as we look at scripture together. If you are a pastor or a preacher, passages will shine a unique light on texts used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. If you are a layperson. Passages will open new doors to hear the word in fresh ways as you hear it preached by your own preacher. The passage I want to share with you today is a passage coming up on Easter Sunday this year, taken from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Allow me to read the text. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, but we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, entering the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who had come to the tomb first, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, one sitting at the head and one sitting at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came. Announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. When we look carefully at this text from John chapter 20, there's a lot of seeing going on in the story. Whether it's what Mary sees, Peter sees, the disciple that Jesus loved who's unnamed in the story, what he sees. Or perhaps even what Jesus himself sees. And so I'd like to just dwell in this notion of what everyone is seeing in this story for a moment. In this text in John 20, there's a progression of sight. The story opens with Mary coming to the tomb early in the morning, more than likely before it was even daylight, and she sees that the stone is rolled away. She immediately goes and reports this to Peter and this other disciple who is unnamed in the story. All we know it's the disciple whom Jesus loved that we've seen a couple of times so far in the story. They both run to the tomb, and apparently the disciple whom Jesus loved was a bit more fleet of foot than Peter was. He arrived first. He arrives at the tomb, but he doesn't go in. He just sees the empty tomb. He sees that the grave cloths have been disturbed. Peter, lagging behind, finally arrives, bursts into the tomb, looks, and he sees the body of Jesus gone and the gravecloths disturbed, but the cloth that covered Jesus' face is neatly rolled and set aside. Peter and this disciple whom Jesus loved, it says in the text, uh, go home. Mary stays and remains, weeping. And as she looks in the tomb, she sees two angels there. And then she ultimately turns and sees the gardener. The gardener is actually Jesus, but she doesn't recognize that yet. She just simply sees the gardener. And then eventually, when she hears her name, then, and only then, does she see Jesus. It's an interesting story about sight, isn't it? You know, when John writes this story, he carefully sets it against another garden story in the Bible. This garden tomb, if you will, in John chapter 20, is set against the garden we read about in the book of Genesis, the garden that Adam and Eve were in, commonly called the Garden of Eden. And the story, the way John tells it, carefully pits these two stories against each other. The story in Genesis was a story of life in the garden where the tree of life was enjoyed and the fellowship with God and one another was enjoyed. But it resulted in death and an expulsion is depicted in this interesting Cubist painting by Mark Chagall. In this story, in John chapter 20, we find not an expulsion leading unto death, But in this story, we find life. These two gardens set with one another give us two important truths and one death and the other life. But as we go through the story, Mary really is the central character. And as she's trying to step into this life out of death. As she's moving in her own mind, in her her own reflection from the Genesis garden to this garden, she's having trouble finding her own vision. She assumes that the body is stolen. It was a common problem in the first century world for graves to be pillaged and robbed. And so her assumption that the the grave of Jesus might have been violated is not unrealistic whatsoever. Oftentimes biblical scholars will say, well, the stone was very heavy, you wouldn't be able to gain entrance. That's simply not accurate. Uh, Very rarely would a tomb be carved out of a hillside or in some particular place for only one body. Oftentimes they were family tombs with with a stone that was rolled in front of them. This stone was designed to be opened and closed as necessary to gain entrance to the tomb. So the fact that the stone was rolled away wouldn't necessarily be a miraculous event. It it could have been that somebody came and stole the body of Jesus. In the first first century, we read about Roman law regarding grave robbing. As a matter of fact, by the end of the first century, robbing or desecrating a grave was punishable by death throughout the Roman Empire. So Mary believing that the body of Jesus has been stolen is not unrealistic at all. What she's struggling with is moving out of this place of functioning in the paradigm of the first garden, the Garden of Eden, the garden that ultimately led to death, and trying to function in this new garden, this garden that leads to life. And it's that movement of vision between the two that is jarring. It's perplexing. It's a struggle for Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. They come and they see what's happened, but they just go home, according to the story. As a matter of fact, as the story moves toward its conclusion in verse 18 and past that, we find that when Mary returns and tells all the disciples what's happened, none of them come to see what has gone on. It's not until Jesus appears to them in the room in which they're staying at night do they actually believe that something has happened. Mary's reports of Jesus' resurrection arrived to some ho-hum men, Undoubtedly, she was probably mansplained when she arrived and tried to explain what happened. Mary, in her struggle to move from this garden of death to this garden of life, it says when she recognizes Jesus, she grabs hold of him. She clings to him. This is a common custom in the ancient world, especially within Semitic cultures, to grab hold of the feet of a person that has not been seen it's a it's an act of affection, of adoration in some ways it's a way of even paying honor or homage to the person that you're greeting. she's clinging to him and probably one of the most cryptic verses in the Gospel of John Jesus tells her not to cling to him and explains to her why that she, that he is going away and that she can't hold on to him why why is she forbidden to cling to him why? Is she told not to hold on to him? Jesus tells others the very same thing in any of these post-resurrection stories. It has everything with the image of God. It has to do with everything about holding on to Jesus in one place at one time in one body. That perhaps God has a bigger vision of life for us in this garden than just simply him in his resurrected form. It has to do, believe it or not, with the Ten Commandments and the commandment that tells us not to shape or form a graven image. And it's not to say that the resurrected Jesus is a graven image, but later we'll discuss the significance of what this means and why moving from death to life, from what the garden in Genesis to the garden in John, is so important. You know, we struggle just like Mary and Peter and this disciple whom Jesus loved. We have the same difficulty seeing what's going on because we're so used to functioning in the garden of death, not the garden of life. This word for seeing in John is a very common word throughout the gospel. And it's usually linked with another word, believing, Seeing and believing go together. And in John's gospel, there's a a theology around the signs and wonders that Jesus performed. And that people would see those signs and wonders. And in some cases, it would result in them believing. In other cases, it would result in the exact opposite. You see, we find ourselves in the same story. We, We find ourselves with the same lack of vision. We find ourselves living in these same assumptions of a God that is distant and aloof, somehow being programmed with this idea that there's this cosmic white man with a long beard sitting on a throne someplace else, observing what is happening here on planet Earth, who is far off and aloof. Now we're quick to reject that notion, saying, oh, we don't believe in such stereotypical depictions of God, but My friends, I would suggest to you that that model of understanding the very presence of God is framed by the Garden of Eden and the story of death that occurs there. When we pray at times, we say things like, Be with us, O God. Lead us, O God. We use phrases and wordings that somehow betray our lack of vision. That these phrases inviting God to be with us or beckoning God to be present They rest in the assumption that somehow God needs our beckoning to be near to us. Somehow we believe that we're not seen. And my friends, it's not that we're not seen. Perhaps we're beckoning the wrong person. Perhaps we, like Peter and the disciple Jesus loved and even Mary are functioning in a world in which we do not realize the very presence of God in our own midst and that we live in the assumption that somehow we live outside of the presence of the Holy. This shifting of our vision is not just a glass half full issue, somehow convincing ourselves to be more optimistic the nuance of how we see things how we wonder and hold seeing and believing is everything in this story and how do we see and believe how is our vision shaped by a story such as this we're not all that different from peter the disciple jesus loved and mary because it really boils down to not just what we see But who sees us? After Peter and this disciple Jesus loved left the tomb, Mary is there on her own, and she has a conversation with a couple of angels that appear to her in the very presence of the tomb. And she turns and she sees someone she assumes to be the gardener. And this individual finally calls out her name. In in Aramaic, the the word would be Miriam. We translate it Mary. Mary. And as soon as she hears her name, she recognizes Jesus. What I love about this story is that she can't see Jesus, at least yet, but he sees her. He sees her as she is. He sees her in her grief, in her brokenness. He sees her in her confusion. He sees her in this space between the Garden of Eden and the Garden of John chapter 20. He sees her. He sees her before she even can see herself. What does it mean for Jesus to see us when we don't even know we're being seen? What does it mean for us to live in what's called the immanence of God? For Methodists, this isn't an unusual truth. We believe in what's called the prevenient grace, the grace of God at work in our lives before we were even aware aware of it. Wouldn't another way of saying prevenient grace is that we are seen before we know we're seen, that somehow that God knows us before we even know ourselves. The problem that we struggle with as human beings that we see in the story in John 20 and we see in ourselves today is that we're numb to the reality of being seen. And it's because we are programmed to somehow think we are invisible. Over the past year, as we've looked at the the charts, we've seen over and over again of those who have died because of the COVID pandemic. We see tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have lost their lives, even millions around the world, and we see numbers. We see bar graphs. We see lines plotting mathematical functions. Invisible to us is the human reality of what's there. Even over this last year as our culture cries out for racial justice, we see a whole group of individuals who have been invisible crying out to be seen. People of color, black and brown Americans crying out, saying we're not invisible. See us. Even the ways in which we talk to each other, the the ways in which we practice our own forms of incivility, name-calling, denigrating one another. It's a failure to see something in each other. And what we fail to see is the image of God. We are programmed in this culture at times to be invisible. So when a narrative comes along that says, no, you are seen, it's hard for us to understand. We are so used to living in the one garden in which we're invited to live in a new one. In those graphs of COVID deaths and the cries for racial justice and the incivility with which we engage one another, what we miss is the image of God in each other. And this comes back to why Mary can't hold on to Jesus. You see, the image of God is in each and every one of us. We know this from the Genesis story, don't we? That we were all created with the image of God. And that that image of God in us is animated by the Holy Spirit. This is why idolatry in the Ten Commandments is forbidden. Because the fashioning of a, of a stick or a stone into some kind of idol that we worship is a rejection of the image of God in the human beings around us. And so the idols with that we worship today, whatever they happen to be, possessions or power or somehow our our claim to truth, whatever it happens to be, the way in which we behave in an imperial sort of fashion, those are a rejection of the image of the divine. Why are we not allowed to fashion an idol? Because we're rejecting the very image of God in the human being next to us. When we see only numbers, opinions, what we see are bodies lacking soul or spirit. No, Jesus. Jesus in the story invites us to something else. Invites us into a new dimension, a new way of seeing the reality in which we live. Jesus sees Mary before Mary can see him, even before she can truly see herself. Recognizing the very nearness and the presence of the holy is the first step. But it goes beyond that to seeing that presence of the image of the holy in all the human beings around us. Seeing is believing and believing is seeing. They're inseparable. We cannot cling to him. Because to cling to him in many ways is a notion that God can be in one place at one time, in one body, in one person. And what Jesus is telling us is that the Holy Spirit has come into our midst and that there is something of the Holy in each of us that that Holy Spirit then animates. And the way in which we treat one another, the ways in which we engage with each other, the ways in which we see the image of the Holy in each other exemplifies this. And the church is to exemplify this. What did Jesus tell us in this very same gospel? John chapter 13, verse 34. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. The reality that Mary so beautifully steps into into this story that she teaches us and leads us into is that we're seen by God at every moment of every day. That as the scriptures tell us, as near as the breath we breathe, The challenge this story puts in front of us, in this day in which human beings are denigrated into numbers and categories, is can we learn to see each other in the same way? Can we see this world the way God does? Can we see ourselves the way God does? Can we stop? the ways in which we continue to live in the garden of death and instead learn to live in the garden of life where God breathes life and hope and love into this world. This is the gospel. This is the truth that we must hear, that we are loved by God and that all are loved by God. Thanks be to God. Amen.